Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. It's our privilege to have Dr. George Murray here to bring God's Word to us. He's a former president and chancellor at Columbia International University, and he now uh, consults with churches and organizations and preaches God's Word, and perhaps even more importantly, is an uncle to a member of our congregation and an uncle to one of our supported missionaries. So we are privileged to have you, Dr. Murray. Well, thank you, Pastor, and good morning. Uh, Wasn't it great to see all the missionaries and to hear briefly from each one of them. I told them that if they took too much time, I would change my text and preach on John chapter 10, verse 8, which says, all who came before me were thieves and robbers. (laughs) This morning, we together, in our prayer of confession of sin, said the following words. We confess that our attention and energies are so often focused on ourselves that we lose the anguish of heart we ought to feel for all who do not know Christ. This week here at Westminster, we're intentionally thinking and praying about our part in taking God's Word to a starving world. So if you have a Bible or device on which you read your Bible, I invite you to turn to the third book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. But just before we read and study this Bible passage, I want to share with you some really good news and some really bad news. The good news is that the percentage of people living in the entire world who claim to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ has grown from 3% of the total world population to over 12% of the total world population in my lifetime. In 1945, the year that I was born, and so now you know how old I am, there were 80 million true followers of Jesus Christ in the entire world. Today, in the year 2023, there are over 950 million true followers of Jesus Christ in the entire world. In 1945, when I was born, there were 2.5 billion people living in the world. Today, there are over 8 billion people living in the world. So in the last 78 years, the world's total population has grown threefold, but the true church, the body of Christ, has grown 11-fold in the same period. More people are coming to true faith in Jesus Christ right now than any other time in the history of the world. That is good news. Praise God. 
But now the bad news. As we sit here this morning, nine out of every ten people living in the world are spiritually lost outside of personal faith in Jesus Christ and on their way to hell. You passed some of those people on your way here this morning. Some of those people live on your street, work where you work, go to school where you go to school. That's nine out of every ten. Two out of every three people living in the world today not only are lost, but they have never once heard a clear explanation of the gospel. No one has ever told them how they can be saved through personal faith in Jesus Christ. Two out of every three. And one out of every three people living in the world today not only is lost, not only has never once heard a clear explanation of the gospel, but one out of every three people living right now has no one living near them who can tell him or her about the Lord Jesus Christ. These people not only don't believe in Jesus, these people don't know there's a Jesus to believe in. One out of every three. That's 2.65 billion people. And world mission experts tell us that the figure is closer to three billion people because the current fastest biological population growth happening in the world is taking place among the world's totally unreached people. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone, everywhere. He has never rescinded that command. It's not something we might do. It's something we must do. It's not an option. It's an obligation. Now, with these accurate statistics and with Christ's unchanging commission in our minds, please take your Bible now and turn to the third book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke chapter 15, and if you have a pen or marking device, I want you to get that handy because we're going to mark some things together in Luke chapter 15. The title, as you saw in the worship bulletin, the title of our Bible message this morning is God's Heart for a Starving World. And one of the places in Scripture which most clearly reveals the heart of God for a lost and spiritually starving world is Luke chapter 15. So let's start reading this chapter together. You watch in your Bibles and listen to the words while I read them out loud. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. 
Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Verse 11. And he said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many years later, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Does that sound like our missions conference theme? Verse 18. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. We'll end our scripture reading there, remembering that this is the word of God. Looking closely at the verses that we just read, we discover that there are three parables in Luke chapter 15. The parable of the lost sheep in verses 3 to 7, the parable of the lost coin in verses 8 to 10, and the parable of the lost son in verses 11 to 24. Over the centuries, more than one Bible scholar has called these three parables the parables of the Father's heart. And as we study this passage this morning, I think we'll see why they give that accurate title to these parables. But let's just stop for a minute and ask ourselves a question. Why did Jesus give these three parables? And the answer to that question is found in the first two verses 
of Luke 15. So let's look at those verses again. Look in your Bible. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. In these two opening verses, there are two groups in the audience which Jesus is speaking to. The first group is made up of the tax collectors and sinners, and we see them in verse 1. And the second group is made up of the Pharisees and the scribes, and we see them in verse 2. The first group is listening. The second group is grumbling. In the first group, are the tax collectors and sinners, the lost, the unreached, the ones Jesus had come to save, the ones whom the Father had sent his Son. First, there were the tax collectors, Middle East mafia, traitors, extortionists, identity thieves, deep state IRS agents, if you will. And then there were the sinners, people whose daily occupation and lifestyle rendered them ceremonially unclean in the eyes of the Pharisees and the scribes. The kind of people with whom the Pharisees, and you and I, frankly, do not want to associate. I think we can understand and sympathize. I mean, they were probably people with excessive body odor, with tobacco-stained teeth, the kind that get drunk at ball games or always go to the bar after work, people who frequent adult video stores or who flaunt their LGBTQ agenda or pro-choice people or people who you can tell just by looking at them that they probably work for Antifa. Or prison parolees who are wearing a tracking device on their ankle. Or people who beg for money so they can spend it on drugs. Or people with excessive body piercings or spiked hair. Or kids who wear gothic clothes and chains. Or maybe they were guys who wear sleeveless muscle shirts so you can see all their tattoos. Or people that tell dirty jokes and use the F word and take God's name in vain. People who waste their money on the lottery and live on welfare. Or people of another race or skin color or women who wear robes and cover their heads and faces so you can only see their eyes. You know, the kind of people with whom you and I definitely and honestly do not want to associate. The kind of people that if one of them entered this sanctuary this morning, we would elbow each other and say, What are they doing here? And all these people were crowding around Jesus, maybe even touching him. That's the first group, the tax collectors and sinners. The second group was made up of the Pharisees and the scribes. And quite apart from the negative connotation we give those terms today, we must remember whom those men thought they were and whom the people thought they were. Let's talk about the scribes first. The scribes were the conservative theological professors and authors of the day. Why, if InterVarsity Press or Zondervan Publishing or Baker Bookhouse or Thomas Nelson Company existed back then, they would have had a brisk publishing business with all the religious books that the scribes were putting out. Of course, first of all, they produced copies of the scriptures. Maybe they even had a Gamaliel study Bible. 
Then they put out books on liturgy and pastoral handbooks and extensive Old Testament commentaries and mystical devotional books. The scribes were always at the Christian booksellers convention, personally autographing some of their books for purchasing devotees and letting them take selfies so they could post them on Facebook. And then there were the Pharisees. The Pharisees were fundamental conservative ministers, descendants of great godly men called the Kazadim. And they defended the Bible and even memorized large portions of it. And they swore by the writings of the scribes. They were clean, living, and zealous, keeping themselves separate from the world and forever thankful to God for his blessings and that they weren't like the tax collectors and sinners. Why, if evangelist Franklin Graham came to town and we would ask the Pharisees and scribes to come to the meeting and bring some of their unsaved friends, they would pull themselves up proudly and say, I don't have any unsaved friends. When the scribes and the Pharisees saw all the sinners crowding around Jesus, in fact, they heard that Jesus even went over to some of the sinners' houses to eat And everybody knew that they didn't wash their dishes well. When the Pharisees and scribes saw this, well, you and I can understand why the professors and the preachers were concerned and grumbled. Now, I'm obviously speaking tongue-in-cheek, but I am dead serious at the same time. And it's against this background, with these two groups, that Jesus deliberately gives these three parables. So let's go back to our question. Why did Jesus give these three parables? And the answer is, and you should write this down, because Jesus understood the heart of God, but the Pharisees and scribes did not understand the heart of God. I'm going to say it again. Because Jesus understood the heart of God, the scribes and the Pharisees did not understand the heart of God. But here's the bigger question for us here this morning. Do we understand the heart of God? What is the heart of God for a spiritually starving world? These three parables in Luke 15 tell us. And as we look at these parables now, we have to get out our marking devices, all right? And uh, I've brought a, a red pen into the pulpit with me this morning, and I brought a blue pen into the pulpit. And if you don't have a red and a blue pen, when I say red, you can underline twice. And when I say blue, you can underline once, all right? Now, let's look at the first paragraph. The, paragra- the parable of the lost sheep in verses 3 to 7, the first parable. In this parable, I've taken my red pen and I've underlined the following words in verse 4. Go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Go after the one that is lost until he finds it. I've underlined that in red in my Bible. Why? Because that is the heart of God. The proactive loving, going, seeking, searching heart of God. Animal experts tell us that the relationship between oriental shepherds and sheep is the closest of all relationships between men and animals. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, we're told that the shepherd would 
recognize and name each one of his sheep. So rather than trying to count a bunch of moving sheep and realizing he was coming up one short, the shepherd would just look at the flock and say to himself, Matilda is missing. And then he would do everything he could to find her. Now let's take our blue pen, our blue pen, or marking device, and underline the words that describe the result, the result that happens when the lost is found. So in verse 5, I've underlined in blue the word rejoicing. Do you see that there? When the shepherd finds the sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. In verse 6, I've underlined in blue the word rejoice. You see that there? He calls together his friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me. And in verse 7, I've underlined in blue the word joy, where we read that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who see no need for repentance. Do not forget the two groups that are listening to Jesus talk. Don't forget. So in the parable of the lost sheep, the heart of God is going after the one that is lost until it is found, and the result is joy and rejoicing. Let's look at the second parable. The parable of the lost coin, verses 8 to 10. Okay, I got out my red pen, and I've underlined the following words in verse 8. Seek diligently until she finds it. You see that there? I've underlined that and read my Bible. You can check it out afterwards this morning if you want to look at it. I've underlined that. Seek diligently until she finds it. Why did I underline that with red? Because that is the heart of God, seeking diligently until the lost is found. Now, the coin mentioned here was a silver Greek drachma, which was equivalent to a Roman denarius. And a drachma, or denarius, was worth a full day's wage. So this wasn't an insignificant copper penny. In fact, Bible commentators point out that women in those days often wore an engagement headband that contained 10 drachmas. Remember, this woman had 10 coins, 10 drachmas. And to lose one of them out of the headband would be like losing the diamond out of your engagement ring. When I was a little boy growing up here in southeastern Pennsylvania, my mother suddenly realized that the diamond in her engagement ring was missing. We literally turned our house upside down looking for it, and we found it under the bed in one of our bedrooms where my mom had been cleaning. I can still remember the resulting hugging and happiness that took place in our house that day when mom's lost diamond was found. And the same result happens here in our second parable. So let's get out our blue pen, our marking device, and in verse 9, let's underline in blue the word rejoice, where the woman says to her friends and neighbors, rejoice with me. And then in verse 10, let's underline in blue the word joy, where we read that there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Everybody with me? All right, now let's go quickly to our third parable, the parable of the lost son. And since we're on a roll, let's get out our red pen or marking device to see what we can underline to describe the heart of God, which is why these three parables were given. But now watch. No matter how many times I read and studied this parable carefully, sadly, I could not find anything to underline with my red pen. I looked for someone going after the lost until it was found, but it's not there. I looked for someone seeking diligently until the lost was found, but it's not there. 
However, the lost is found and the prodigal son does come home, so the result is there. So at least we can use our blue pen. So let's get out our blue pen or marking device and underline the following results. Look at verse 23 and underline in blue the word celebrate. You see that there? Now look at verse 24 and underline in blue the word celebrate. Now look at verse 25 and underline in blue the words music and dancing. And then look down in verse 32 and underline in blue the words celebrate and be glad. Celebrate music and dancing. Celebrate and be glad. So the happy result that comes whenever the lost is found is there. So we could at least use our blue pen. But now watch. In the parable of the lost sheep someone went after the lost until he found it. In the parable of the lost coin, someone searched diligently until she found it. But now watch. In the parable of the lost son, no one went after the lost. And no one searched diligently until the lost was found. And the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is this. Why? Why? And the answer, the answer is found in Luke 15, verses 25 to 32, the verses we haven't read yet. So look in your Bible again at Luke 15, starting with verse 25, and listen as I read. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28, and the older brother rejoiced and ran toward the house. Is that what the Bible says? Look at verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son... You're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the Word of God. Now watch, and please listen carefully. The main message of Luke 15 is not the lost sheep. The main message of Luke 15 is not the lost coin And the main message of Luke 15 is not the lost son. I'm going to say that again. The main message of Luke 15 is not the lost son. The main message of Luke 15 is the older brother, the one who did not understand the loving, going, seeking, missionary heart of God. And the question you and I need to ask ourselves this morning, Westminster family, is this. Do I understand the heart of God for a spiritually starving world, or am I an older brother? And in the last few minutes that we have this morning, I want to share with you four things about the older brother, and you may want to write these down. And as you do, I want you to ask yourself this question. To what extent... Am I like that 
when it comes to a spiritually lost and starving world. First of all, the older brother was completely self-centered. Completely self-centered. Write that down. Look at what the older brother says to the father in verse 29 of Luke 15. Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. I, I, me, I, my. Is there any question in your mind who this man's thinking about? He's not thinking about others. He's not concerned for the lost. He's thinking about himself. My field, my work, my reputation, my retirement fund, my future, my friends. How'd you like to go on a fishing trip with him? One Bible commentary wryly suggested that maybe the older brother was the reason that the younger brother left home. (laughs) Secondly, The older brother was completely self-righteous. Completely self-righteous. Look again at what he says to the father in verse 29. Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. He thought the father owed him something. He had worked hard for the father's approval. He thought he deserved the father's blessing. He had completely missed the meaning of grace. So the older brother was self-centered. The older brother was self-righteous. As Alexander White says in his classic Bible characters commentary, the greatest fault is a sense of no fault. The greatest fault is a sense of no fault. That's what Jesus was meaning when he referred to the 90 and 9 who saw no need for repentance. Anybody like that here this morning? Thirdly, the older brother was completely insensitive to his brother's lost condition. He was completely insensitive to his brother's lost condition. He couldn't care less if his brother was lost forever. Look at Luke 15, verse 26, where we read these words. He heard music and dancing, and he asked what these things meant. He did not recognize the joyful sounds of evangelism and missions and soul winning. Now look down at verse 28 where we read, but he was angry and refused to go in. Years ago, my father, who was an evangelist, had been invited to a church and was teaching a pre-worship service adult Sunday school class that met in the sanctuary where the church's worship service would be taking place later. Near the end of the Sunday school lesson, God's Holy Spirit came down in a particular way and people began to weep under deep conviction of sin and several of them left their seats and came to the front of the sanctuary where they knelt and prayed in faith to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Because of this unexpected response, my dad felt it was appropriate to keep the Sunday school class there just a bit longer as the Lord continued to work in hearts. By now, it was a couple minutes after 11 when the worship service was supposed to begin and a crowd had gathered in the lobby. One of the elders of the church in the lobby was very upset and asked what these things meant. 
They told him how the Lord was working deeply in people's hearts and how several people were confessing their sin and coming to faith in Christ. And his response was, what right does this man have to come to our church and upset our Sunday schedule? And a couple minutes later, when the sanctuary doors opened for the worship service, he stomped angrily out of the lobby, got in his car, and drove home. He refused to go. My wife, Annette, and I went as gospel-preaching missionaries to the post-Christian country of Italy, where only one-half of 1% of the total population claimed to be true Bible-believing Christians. While we were there studying the Italian language, one day, in a very public place, an Italian woman openly made fun of me before a crowd of people in a store because I was not speaking Italian correctly. I remember dejectedly going back to our high-rise apartment and brooding over that humiliating experience. I was very upset, and, and I replayed that conversation in my mind, thinking of what I would have liked to say if I could have. And I found myself thinking... I wonder how you say go to hell in Italian. (laughs) Because if I could relive that conversation in that moment, that's what I really wanted to say to that lady. And immediately the Holy Spirit convicted me and said to me as it were, George Murray, what are you thinking? I don't want that woman to go to hell. That's why I brought you here. And immediately I repented. And ask God to forgive me for my selfish insensitivity. Lastly, not only was the older brother completely self-centered, completely self-righteous, and completely insensitive to the lost condition of his younger brother, but lastly, the older brother was, write this down, staying instead of going. He was staying instead of going. And just before I finish this message... I want you to imagine a scene with me, a scene which, though not given here in the pages of Scripture, is completely consistent with this Bible passage we are studying. Here is the scene. Listen carefully. After a busy workday, it's early evening in the Father's house. The hired servants have cooked a savory meal and have prepared the family dinner table. By explicit instructions from the Father, the hired servants always set three places at the table. At one end of the table, a place for the Father. At the other end of the table, a place for the older brother. And in the middle, a place for the missing son. The older brother comes in from the fields, tired and hungry. He takes special pains to wash his hands carefully, takes his place at the table, and waits impatiently for the father to ask the blessing over the meal. As soon as he hears his father say, Amen, he reaches for the platter of food, serves himself an ample portion, grabs a piece of bread, and buries himself in his bowl. The father also serves himself some food, takes a small bite, and then looks deliberately at the empty chair in the middle. He stops eating and sighs deeply as his eyes go from the empty chair up to the open window and then gaze longingly toward a far country. 
At a certain point, the older brother looks up, sees his father's face, shakes his head in disgust, grabs another piece of bread, and continues to eat. Now, the scene I just described for you is completely consistent with the story we have read here in Luke 15. But what should the scene be? Listen carefully. After the blessing, the older brother begins to eat, but stops suddenly as he watches the painful gaze of the father. Always concerned more for his father's desires than his own, the older brother puts down his spoon and speaks. Dad, I know how you feel. I know you won't be happy until my brother comes home. Dad, give me a few days off, please. We, we have plenty of hired workers who can care for the work here on the home front. Let me go and look for my brother. We've got bread enough and to spare. We won't run out of food while I'm gone. I'll go after the one who is lost. I'll search diligently until I find him. Father, here am I. Send me. But nothing of the kind is found here in Luke 15. Instead, we have the self-centered grumblings of one whose whole life has been one steady succession of joyless, necessary service. Here was a man who could sit in the house of the Lord and not understand the Lord of the house. Is there anybody like that here this morning? Would you bow in prayer with me now, please? We're going to pray. And as we sit here quietly before the Lord, I want us to come back to an important question in a world where nine out of every ten people are lost, where two out of every three people have never heard a clear explanation of the gospel, and where one out of every three people living today are completely unreached and have no one living near them who can tell them about Jesus. I want us to ask ourselves a question, and here it is. Do I understand the heart of God for a lost and starving world Or am I an older brother? Do I understand the heart of God for a lost and starving world? Or am I an older brother? And as we continue to wait just for a moment before the Lord, I want to suggest a simple prayer for you to pray in your heart to the Lord. Here's the prayer. Listen carefully. Father God, please give me your heart for a lost and starving world. I'm going to say it again. And if you want to, I invite you to pray this in your heart. Father God, please give me your heart for a lost and starving world. Now, if you'd just kindly look up again, just for a minute, look up here. In Luke chapter 15, verse 31, we have the words of the father to the older brother. And here's what he says. Look in your Bible. Son, daughter, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. God says to you and me, all that is mine, and that includes his heart, all that is mine is yours. If we ask him, he will give each one of us his heart for a lost and starving world. Isn't that what you want? That's what I want. May God's Spirit continue to work 
in all of our hearts as we respond to the teaching of his word this morning. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.